Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of Let's Talk Edition. As always, I am joined by Dan. It's awesome. Hey there, Dan. How are you? Hey there, my man, buddy. How's it going? How are you? It's so great to be here with you for yet another great Let's Talk Edition. Yes, it is. It 100% is. And I'm loving it so far. Um, so today we're talking about a concept called your financial future. I mean, it's not a concept that people don't know what it is. You have a financial future. It means where are you financially in your future life? And by future, I don't mean tomorrow. I mean, that's one thing. Sure, we can talk about that. But we mean future, like days, not days, months, not months, years ahead, right? Is that the idea? Exactly, exactly. So true. And, you know, as you know, in the uh, Beyond the Present podcast, uh, our, one of our major themes is futurism. And of course, if you do not have a financial future, then the chances are you have very little control over your future because let's be honest, guys, your finances do make a huge difference on how well you live and how much uh, basically influence you can exert on the society, which is why I believe that part of having control over your future is to have control over your finances. And if you don't, obviously, <laughs> You probably won't have much of a future. Right, right. Um, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, a lot of people talk about retirement plans and stuff like that. I mean, I suppose that's one thing to talk about. But we are more interested into um, delving in the idea of, okay, so um, one idea is that how you make sure that you don't run out of money when you are perhaps older and you're not uh, perhaps actively working, you're retired or whatever, and on the other hand, we're going to talk about how you can actually become wealthy. Um, and th those are two different, completely different scenarios, which we're going to both talk about. And um, so why don't you uh, go ahead and start off by differentiating how these two um, uh, differ? So, so somebody like me might come to you and say, OK, I'm earning $300,000 a year. I'm going to be pretty wealthy. What would you say to that person? Well, uh, the first thing I would tell him is that, first of all, buddy, I know a lot of guys who are making more than a million per year, and guess what? They are in serious financial difficulty because uh, one of the uh, biggest misconceptions about uh, finance is that people think that their income makes them wealthy, but that is simply not true because it doesn't matter how much you make. Ultimately, uh, you never become wealthy through income alone. I mean, there are people who have, uh, you know, made millions of dollars uh, for one project. Think about, I don't know, the Godfather director. Think about a lot of these famous, uh, basically, actors or sports stars where after about a few years, they're all bankrupt. Why is that? Why could someone with the net worth of exceeding 100, 200, 300 million dollars suddenly go bankrupt? And another issue, of course, is about, uh, you know, it's a very famous story about, like, lottery winners. When you think about lottery winners, a lot of these people... They simply uh, go bankrupt in less than two or three years after winning hundreds of millions of dollars of lottery. Why is that? And the answer, of course, will be discussed today. That is about your overall financial intelligence and literacy and how that allows you to make good financial decisions. So the first rule of financial uh, independence is to understand that you will never, ever become wealthy through income alone. Income does matter. 
So if your income, let's say if you have an income uh, of exceeding $300,000 a year, you have a much higher chance of acquiring uh, basically wealth at a more rapid rate than someone who's making $25,000, dollars $40,000 a year because you are now making three, four, five times the average U.S. basically uh, income. So that's very good. But ultimately, relying solely on your income to acquire financial uh, independence and eventually financial freedom is just simply not going to happen because it's a bridge too far. And for that reason... I'm a huge advocate of uh, helping others uh, improve their financial intelligence to be able to make wiser decisions, and that will then allow them to hopefully become wealthy knowing the right systems and the right tools. So you mentioned two terminologies here, financial independence and financial freedom. Can you elaborate on what they are? For well, actually, when it comes familiar. to your finances, there are a few stages, and the first of which obviously is called uh, financial danger. Uh, financial danger, basically, because ultimately anything in life comes down to how you manage two things in your life, your income and your expenses. And the way you handle these two will put you in one of these categories that I'm going to tell you. So uh, ultimately, we have basically four major uh, formulas uh, when it comes to finances. The first formula is called the formula for bankruptcy. And that is very simple, of course. That means when your expenditure exceeds your income. This is called the formula for bankruptcy. And unfortunately, that's what, from my perspective and estimation, what almost 70% to 80% of the population live by in that they spend all that they earn. And of course, they put some other uh, credit on the side. So now not only they're spending all their earnings, they're actually accumulating negative credit as well, because now they're buying stuff on their credit cards that they, they, they somehow know they can afford. And if you uh, go back to the year 2007, 2008, when we had this major economic crisis in the US, you realize that that was partially caused by a lot of these people who knew they could not mortgage their houses and they just bought homes they couldn't afford. And that led to a major national crisis, which eventually affected the whole world. So that is called a formula for bankruptcy. Then we have two formulas. Uh, these are called uh, the formula for poverty, number one, and the formula for poverty, number two. So the formula for poverty is when your income equals your expenses. So you basically spend whatever you earn, and in the end, you have no savings left aside. This is the f first formula for poverty. Again, a lot of us, unfortunately, who, especially those of us who don't have access to credit, live by this model. In that, uh, if we make, for example, $20,000 a year, we spend all of that $20,000, and in the end, we have nothing left. So we are poor by definition. The second formula for uh, basically uh, poverty is when your income exceeds your uh, expenses and you have a saving aside, we call the saving delta, and then this delta will later be spent again. So yes, for example, let's say you, you want to buy a fancy car, right? So you reduce your uh, expenditures, and you have some savings set aside, and then you will go ahead and you will uh, basically spend uh, uh, that money that is saved to buy a car. So in the end, you still have nothing left, you are still poor. And the last one, of course, is called the formula for wealth. And of course, that's very simple. It'll make a two-year-old somehow smile. And that is ex uh, your, your uh, basically income minus expenditure leads to delta. That is, you have positive savings. You are, in a sense, spending less than you earn and saving that money. And then you take that money and invest it and multiply it to generate more money. This is called uh, the formula for wealth. And after having discussed these uh, formulas, then the way you use your money will determine in which stage you become. 
And ultimately, that'll determine your overall financial future. So uh, basically, the stages of finances are financial danger, financial uh, safety and security, financial uh, independence, and financial freedom. So what are these four? Let me explain very briefly uh, for our listeners. Financial danger, as we mentioned earlier, is living by the formula of bankruptcy or poverty. This means that in this case, you do simply do not have any cash or money or assets set aside. So you are basically living paycheck to paycheck. And if by any chance you lose your job or you lose your clients or you lose your business, things will get really ugly because you have no money set aside, right? So this is called financial danger. Now, let's talk about financial safety. What is that? Financial safety is the first stage of you living by the rule of wealth building. That is, you spend less than you earn, and you take that money, and then you simply save that money, and you have money enough for the next six months to one year that if you do not uh, basically work, you can still continue your life. Basically, it simply tells you how much cash or assets do you have right now available to yourself that if you did not work for the next six months to one year, you could still continue your life. And trust me, you'd be very surprised to know that. I mean, like in a country like the United States, uh, the majority of people literally are two paychecks away from bankruptcy. This means that these people do not have two months worth of basically uh, uh, savings aside that if they do not uh, get their paychecks for two months, they have to file for bankruptcy. So ultimately, the financial uh, safety comes when you have saved enough money that if you do not work for the next six months or one year, you'll be okay. So right now, if you're listening to me right now, ask yourself, what will happen if tomorrow you lose your job or if tomorrow you realize you can't work or you got to, I don't know, you go on a long travel? Can you support yourself financially for the next six months to one year without working? If the answer is yes, congratulations. You are financially safe. That is, you have enough money and savings set aside that you can live off of them for at least six months to one year without working. However, if the answer is no, I'm so sorry, you are in financial danger. And if I were you, I would start by following the uh, uh, formula for wealth building. I would start spending less than I earn. Doesn't matter how less, could be 10% less, could be 5% less, depends on yourself. And then I would start saving enough capital that will allow me to continue my life even if I had no income. That's called financial, basically, uh, safety. Now, the next two are what we're gonna talk about today because these two are not merely for financial safety. They're actually for your financial independence and eventually financial freedom. These two stages are what we call becoming wealthy. So if you are someone who has enough money saved for the next six months to one year, you are not by definition wealthy because you are just merely able to survive. Uh, But wealth really, from my uh, experience, comes from creating a lifestyle where your passive income exceeds your needs and that you do not have to work to make a living. I repeat that. You are truly wealthy if the passive income generated from your businesses, from your investments, exceeds your expenditure and that you do not have to trade time for money. Understand this, guys. The worst trade is trading your time for money. Now, you might be saying, well, Dan, that's going to be like almost all the jobs. So hear me out. We all start this way. Every single one of us, we start our careers by trading our time for money. 
whether it's to clock in and clock out from nine to five, whether it's to have your own business and then putting long hours in the business or uh, whether being a consultant and spending, I don't know, putting a rate per hour for yourself. We all begin this way. It's totally normal. But the question is, are you going to have to do this for the rest of your life? And the answer obviously is if you're smart enough, the answer should be no, because uh, for the wealthiest of all, trading time for money is the worst of all trade for one simple reason. Can you guess, Pujix, uh, why trading time for money is not a good idea? What Can you guess why? Well, you run out of time at some point. Absolutely, because we cannot get our time back, man. There's no way you can get your time back. So for this reason, uh, the formula for wealth building is about finding ways that you can make money without trading your time for that money, or at least trading less time for more money. And that is when we talk about the issues of investment, the issues of wealth building, and other types of strategies that will allow you to make money when you're sleeping. Only then. Of course, if you remember, uh, if you're one of our uh, basically old listeners, you probably remember one of our first episodes about passive income, which uh, we sat down uh, basically and discussed the issue. But here we're going to go a bit more in depth to discuss the issue in terms of what exactly it takes to become uh, financially independent. So to quickly uh, wrap up this part, uh, financial independence basically means that you have enough basically passive income generated through various means, including assets, bonds, uh, let's say stocks, real estate, and other forms of investments, or even your businesses that you are not running yourself, that are being run by someone else, and you're paying them for it, that they will exceed your costs of living, which means you simply can retire. And early retirement is uh, one of the er you know biggest wishes of most people. They just want to retire and travel the world, right? However, here's a fun factor. The people who can actually reach that level that is, they become financially independent, they rarely retire. As a matter of fact, they actually start working harder after that because from then on, their work is just a game. It's just a means of helping others, you know, making contributions. It's no longer a means of survival. And ironically, when you are not basically, ha when you have to survive with your business, you will love your business a lot more and you will work even harder. But ultimately, that's financial independence. And of, co of course, financial freedom, that is when your passive income exceeds whatever you could possibly need as a luxury. Because financial independence is not about luxury lifestyle. Financial independence is about your passive income being enough to meet your basic needs, your rent, your car, your basic costs, entertainment. So... It, when you're financially independent, you do not have to pay for the basic needs of your life, your education, whatever it is. And of course, if you keep up the game of uh, money, eventually you'll arrive at financial freedom, which we call the multimillionaire or billionaire lifestyle, where you will have enough passive income that can pay not only for your basic needs, but also for luxuries. Think about, I don't know, buying, uh, I don't know, a private jet or having your own garage filled with latest uh, sports cars. These are the kind of things that you can afford once you reach financial freedom. Now, here, I'm not necessarily advocating for financial freedom as much as I am advocating for the first two, which are financial, uh, basically, safety, which is available to almost anyone today by merely starting to save money for six to six months to one year and later financial independence, because these are far more important than the last stage, basically. Very well. And you mentioned our episode um, called Passive Income. I'm just going to refer that that's the third ever episode. If you want to go back and listen to it, feel free to do so. And OK, so now 
I think it's clear to me and, and the audience that, okay, if income isn't creating wealth, it should be some sort of investment that creates the passive income that you were talking about. Now, the question arises that when and how should we start investing? In what areas should we invest? In Bravo. Um, or, so, or should we diversify? That's a very good point. That's right. I get you. I, I think Pujix, you yourself know very well about uh, the answer because not only you're very smart, but you also are an entrepreneur yourself. You understand the importance of uh, running your own business and being a freelancer. So uh, what, what what do you think? I mean, like if you if I were to ask you, when is the best time to start investing? Can you guess what's the best time? Yesterday. Absolutely. <laughs> the best time was yesterday, man. Not even today. Because it is never, never too early to start saving and investing because ultimately we talked earlier about the formula for wealth and that requires you to have capital. All wealthy people are capitalists and the word capitalist means someone who owns and possesses capital that he or she can use to create further wealth. So because of that, the best time to start saving and investing was yesterday. But today is the second best time. And of course, tomorrow, probably a little bit too late. But who knows? You can still get started. So the right approach, of course, here is how do you do it? Because ultimately, there's going to be a lot of things. But I really believe that if you, it depends on your level right now. If you right now are someone... If, if you're right to ask yourself, do I have enough cash, just cash, not savings, not investments, not, for example, uh, you know, bonds, just cash, like literally uh, uh, cold cash right here, all right, right here. Do, do, do you have enough cash right now in your hand, in your pocket, under your pillow, I don't know, in your bank account, ready for expenditure for the next six months to one year? If the answer is no, investment is not for you. I repeat, if right now, you do not have enough cash ready to be spent on your basic daily needs, rent, car, basic entertainment, education, Wi-Fi, whatever it is, utilities. If you don't have enough cash right now in your hands or in your bank account or under your pillow that you can spend for the next six months to one year without working, then investment is not for you. And here's, a, uh, here's my question right now, Pujis. Can you guess why... I believe that if you do not have enough cash and enough, uh, do not have enough basically safety, financial safety, you should not start investing. Can you guess why I'm, I'm recommending this? Can you just guess uh, the, the answer? I mean, I, I suppose one of the things that you can talk about is the idea of if you start investing and now you start running out of cash, you want to get some cash. So let's say you, you lost your job or something. Now you need money, so you have to retract that investment, which is not a good idea. Exactly. Exactly, because all good investments are long-term investments. You see, if you right now don't have enough safety net that allows you to use it whenever you, I don't know, lose your job or you have some problems, then the moment you lose that job or that income or that project or that client, what do you do? You cancel the investment, get the money to spend it on your basic needs. And that is the ultimate losing formula in wealth building because all wealth is long-term wealth. True wealth, good investments are long-term. So as Pujix mentioned, if you don't have enough savings aside for the next uh, six months to one year, the moment something goes wrong, you will uh, cancel your investments and you will basically uh, uh, stop investing, which means you'll lose the chances. But there's yet another reason why I also don't recommend this. 
And the other reason here is about your psychology. You see, if you have enough cash that you're willing to you know, easily live without working for the next year or so, if something happens to your investment, which it always does, and if your investments go through ups and downs, which they always do, you will not feel emotionally affected and you will not react. Guys, here's the number one rule in all finances. Do not do what the majority do. When everyone, this is a quote from uh, Warren Buffett, when everyone is greedy, be fearful. And when everyone is fearful, be greedy. You want to become the opposite of most people. And if you put all of your savings into investments, the moment one stock drops in value or the moment your house that you put on Airbnb for rent goes without a tenant for one month, you start panicking. Oh my gosh, How, what, what am I going to do? One month, no income from my house, what am I going to do? And that panic will make you feel emotional. And ultimately, the worst financial decisions are the ones we make out of emotions, not out of logic and planning. And that is why having that one year of cash set aside will give you the peace of mind that will then allow you to not be so emotionally reactive to the markets because markets are always changing. The price of real estate keeps going up and down. The price of stocks keeps going up and down. Maybe the inflation rate at some point will go up. So your return on investment from your bonds or from your bank deposits will be substantially uh, basically eliminated. So in these cases, if you don't have enough cash set aside, you will panic. And once you panic, in the majority of cases, if not in all the cases, you will make the wrong financial decision. You will sell your house when you should not. I mean, there's, this could happen. Maybe like you're, we're now going through a down season and the value of your property is down, but you need the money. <gasps> the, the prices are dropping, man. I got to sell right now or else I'm going to even, lose even further. And guess what happens? You will sell your home at a lower price than the market value. And after five, six, seven years, boom, the prices will be doubled. Boom, you lost your money. However, if you have enough cash to decide, then you think not in terms of weeks and months, but in terms of years and decades. You say, okay, real estate is now down and probably will be down for the next five, six years. But how about the next 20 years? So you do your calculation. Okay, in the next 20 years, probably the price will go up. And then guess what? You're not going to sell your house and the price will go up. So this gives you a great financial leverage as well as a psychological inclination to simply avoid reacting emotionally. And this allows you to make much better decisions and to think much longer, which is exactly why I believe if you do not have enough cash set aside that allows you to meet all your needs without working, forget about investment and just start saving. That's it. And that is, from my perspective, the first element and that what probably most of our listeners should do right now, because most of us, uh, unfortunately, we are living in, uh, with a formula for financial uh, poverty or for bankruptcy, which means uh, probably 80% of our listeners right now should focus on taking this step and they should start saving money to have enough cash for the next one year. Only then they should think about investments, which now we're going to talk hopefully with Pujix about the ins and outs and how to do it actually. Yes, we will. And I mean, there are a lot of options in investment, which I know a lot of people know, but of all the investment types, I always hear you, you have a soft spot, it seems, for real estate. Why is that? Why do you like real estate so much? And why do a lot of people like real estate so much? I suppose exactly. is a good answer for it. 
Of course, of course. What a great question you asked me, Pujix. And you're right. I'm very passionate about real estate for a variety of reasons. Uh, number one, probably is because, uh, as you already know, we've already had a earlier, we discussed with you about uh, one of our upcoming projects uh, regarding the uh, basically import and exports using Amazon. And there I mentioned to you as well personally that uh, you don't want to lose money. That's the first rule of business. Don't lose money. And uh, this, this is a rule that is practiced by almost uh, all the billionaires that I have read their biographies from. Like, can you believe that? Like, when you look at, like, guys with net worth uh, of, let's say, a couple million dollars, they are all just so fancy. Like, the guy's net worth, for example, is like 15 million and he owns a jet worth 4 million. How stupid is that? Let me think about this, right? Like, he literally spends like one third of his net worth to buy a shitty jet that is not even actually that cool, a very tiny little private jet, uh, which is 25% of his net worth. And then we have billionaires who literally can afford whatever they want. And these guys are far better with this and they think much more long-term. And I really believe that if you want to get the best results, you should model the best, the very best, not the average, not the middle, but the very best. And the very best here are billionaires. And if you look at billionaires and how they look at investments, they all tell you this, rule number one in business, never lose money. Which is why I'm a huge fan of real estate and not stocks or uh, other types of uh, risky investments. Why? Because stocks are completely out of your control. That is, you can you have control over buying and selling the stocks, but you have no control over how uh, the, basically the prices will eventually change. So that's one of the things that I personally don't like about stocks is that you do not exert enough control. Because if you can't exert control, then you probably cannot do much about it, right? Uh, secondly, uh, stocks generally follow very rapid uh, ups and downs, which for those of us who might not necessarily be uh, very financially educated or do not have enough information, uh, basically, we might have serious problems and make wrong decisions. But real estate, well, it's been around for centuries and it will be around for another, because, I mean, we never ever going to run out of it or need. I mean, if so long as we have the you know human civilization, we need a place to stay. We need a place to sleep. I mean, that's just basic human needs, right? So the demand will never disappear. Because right now, think of a lot of the companies out there that are now bankrupt. Think of Xerox. Think of, I don't know, many other companies. Uh, think of, I don't know, uh, various factories that are now out of business because there's no longer a demand for those products. And that's the problem with the stocks. Think of, for example, the stocks of Tesla Motors. Imagine Elon Musk, which is a hero of mine, and I'm sure he's, he's also a hero of you, Pujix. Uh, he goes on one podcast, smokes one, I don't know, let's say uh, just for a few seconds, he smokes weed on, I don't know, uh, let's say live podcast, and boom, the stocks drop s substantially. This is not no, he something that we that. see so much. What's that? What's that? Go ahead. I said, no, he wouldn't do that. <laughs> of course, of already, course. So. <laughs> but this is one example of stocks. They react very quickly. And if someday Elon Musk decides that he does not care any longer about, I don't know, electric cars or about SpaceX, then those demands will disappear and the stocks will drop. Real estate, on the other hand, is a basic need that every human being needs. For as long as we've ever lived in the history and for, long as, for as long as we'll be in the, in, in the future, we will need a place to stay, to, to live, to sleep, to eat, whatever it is. So because of that, the, uh, the demand will never disappear. And as we know, if the demand does not disappear and the supply is limited, which it really is, because there's only so much space on planet Earth, most of our planet is covered with water. So this means that land, where we can use basically real estate, is limited. And the world population is continually rising day by day, 
We're projected to reach 8 billion in less than uh, 10, 20 years. So when the population grows up and the amount of land is limited and the supply is always there, what do you think this means for the real estate, Pujix? It means it's going to blow up. Absolutely. The prices will keep going up and up. Now, they don't always go up. There's always going to be you know, uh, cycles in the economy uh, where this will affect the prices and all those things. But in the long term, real estate will always go up in value. But here's a point about real estate that I really love that I don't appreciate about other forms. Real estate is simultaneously an asset that goes up in value by itself. That is, if you buy a home and you just keep it there, it will go up in value over the coming decades by itself. Secondly, you can generate income by renting that place. That is, not only the value of your property is going up, we call this price appreciation, you can also generate cash flow by renting the place and generating passive income. And there's a third and final reason that I really love real estate that I do not appreciate about stocks, and that is mortgages. You see, if I go to a bank and I say, listen, guys, I want to buy $1 million worth of stocks of Microsoft. They say, sir, your brain is fried. Hit the road. Get out of here. But if I say, guys, I want to buy a property worth a $1 million, they say, okay, you're going to put 10% down payment and the rest will be mortgaged for 30 years. Boom. I can now, with less money, get a property that is worth 10 times more pay the mortgage based upon today's interest rate for the next 30 years and have my property go up in value while I simultaneously can generate cash flow from the property right now. This is why I'm a huge fan of real estate because it really, almost anyone can get in. If you only have, let's say, $20,000, saving left, you can literally go right now and buy a property worth three to $400,000. You can never do that in stocks or any other types of investment. You can only do it in real estate. And because of these three reasons, the fact that they will always go up in price and uh, they will uh, basically always be able to generate cash flow and uh, the fact that you can actually borrow money or what we call OPM, other people's money. You can use other people's money to buy the property and to generate income. I'm a huge fan of real estate and I really believe that if you are somehow focused about uh, making and generating cash in the long term, you should look nowhere else but real estate. Excellent. And one of, now, now you're mentioning renting it out. One of the very lucrative tools nowadays to actually rent your property out seems to be Airbnb, that little application in your mobile device, which has a lot of a big company behind it. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Wow. Well, first of all, I'm a huge fan of uh, Airbnb, and uh, I uh, personally endorse this brand, and I really believe that everybody who's now listening to us right now should uh, definitely try Airbnb. Airbnb, I think, is well, the Uber of real estate, if you will. And for the same reason that Uber has transformed, uh, basically, uh, public transportation, I really believe that Airbnb has done the exact same thing for real estate, because Airbnb simply allows anyone anywhere in the world to rent out their property to anyone anywhere in the world. Uh, without much risk and difficulties. And I think that's really the Uber of real estate. And just like technology has made everything better, Airbnb has made real estate much better. And because of the fact that I believe that a good type of investment should be available to anyone. I mean, right now, maybe many of our listeners do not have any contact uh, with a good realtor. Maybe they do not uh, know the markets very well. Maybe they don't even know how to price their property 
all of this is being done for free on Airbnb. Of course, they charge you uh, basically uh, their commission after, only after you uh, rent out your property. But in reality, any amateur with zero knowledge of real estate can get started with Airbnb and start generating passive income from whatever property they own or they have even mortgaged. It doesn't really matter. And I believe that that's one of the best ways to generate cash. So Airbnb simply is a service, if you don't know already, uh, is a service that allows you to rent out your property or rent the other people's properties for a few days for as long as you want. And this means that you do no longer have to be limited to one tenant. We all have heard the stories of, oh my gosh, my tenant is now becoming mean. It's been three months, he hasn't paid his rent. These are the issues of the past because I myself, I'm very busy, just like you, Pujix. And you know, I don't have time to go after my tenant and say, hey, I'm your landlord. Give me your goddamn fucking monthly fee. I can't do that. I don't have the time for this. And because of this, I'm a huge fan of renting out your property for on a daily basis instead of the long term because that means you don't have all the hassles that comes with following up with a bad tenant and it simply reduces the risk overall of uh, generating passive income. Airbnb does exactly that. It actually allows you to uh, rent out your property and to be able to generate income. And we earlier mentioned that if you want to get into real estate, you can simply have a small, let's say, for example, right now you have $40,000 in cash, right? You can right now go to, let's say, JP Morgan Chase and get your mortgage for 30 years for a property worth at least $350,000, $400,000, right? Now you are the owner of that property today. And you can rent out that property on Airbnb, and here's what's going to happen. You are not going to have to pay that mortgage, man. Your, uh, your mortgage will be paid by your tenant plus some money on the side that becomes your uh, passive income. That's what really boggles my mind. So right now, you have $40,000. You go to the JP Morgan Chase and say, sir, I want my mortgage for this property. You get the property. Put it on real estate, uh, put it on uh, Airbnb's real estate list. And at that time, you still have a monthly mortgage of about, let's say, $1,200, right? Guess what? You are not going to pay that mortgage. Other people will pay that mortgage for you. And who are those other people? The people you find on Airbnb. So they come to you and say, okay, I'm going to rent your property for this day and this day. So you will rent your property during that month to, let's say, nine, 10 people. And you will generate an average of, let's say, $2,500. And your mortgage is one, uh, let's say, $1,000 or $1,200. So you deduce that amount. You actually remove the, uh, basically, amount from that. After it's been deducted, you can actually now extra have extra cash on the side. Can you believe that? You can never do that with, with stocks, man. So you literally let others pay your mortgage for you and a little bit on the side, and now not only you don't pay your mortgage yourself, you actually generate passive income without working. And this is, of course, what I really love. And Airbnb allows you to facilitate this process and to make you basically uh, better at it. However, I should tell you this, uh, that becoming profitable on Airbnb is not that easy. That is, you want to uh, somehow uh, you know, create the conditions that are good for uh, renting your property out, which is why I believe that the best way for you is to learn from the top properties. And if you're ready to go on Airbnb, the top properties are uh, bashed with uh, basically uh, uh, plus. And these are oftentimes... Uh, the properties uh, are generating a lot of you know a lot of you know views and a lot of basically uh, 
income, which is why uh, not long ago, actually, I contacted, uh, you know, the headquarters of Airbnb in the United States, and uh, we had a great conversation for like 15 minutes. So, Pooja, if it's okay with you right now, we're going to actually uh, uh, somehow uh, play a part of that uh, discussion that I had on the phone uh, with uh, the headquarters of Airbnb regarding how to make basically our property stand out and how to even go for the badges that will make your property more worthwhile. Do you think we're going to go for it? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Definitely. A 95% or higher uh, acceptance rate. Um, and then there has to be, uh, you know, no, no sorts of, uh, so basically just nothing, no sorts of cancellations without, uh, for example, an extenuating circumstance. That's so right. if, if, for example, a family member were to pass um, or, or something, uh, you know, were to happen, then there might be an exception to that. So um, those are some of the requirements there. And then um, with that one review that you're referring to. I just want to look at the review so I can... That's right. Uh, so far, we got six reviews on the property, and uh, one yeah. of those reviews came from one of our Chinese guests, and apparently uh, she, she didn't even re- leave, you know, leave the review in English, so she probably had uh, trouble uh, even uh, understanding English, and uh, she left a two-star review saying, and of course, we did the translation uh, by the, you know, the Mandarin review that she left, and uh, she said, like, I could not find the place, even though the place is very well suited and anyone could just find it with you know with the help of a simple uh, you know google map search or something or even just asking a, a driver uh, but basically that's one issue right so we got a two uh, star review here from that chinese uh, lady and uh, another one was probably like uh, three or something so we got six reviews so far and we got an alert literally uh, i think it was uh, yesterday where it said uh, now your property is in the uh, lowest 10% ratings uh, and uh, despite having you know all these four and five stars and we want to know uh, whether or not uh, this is going to affect uh, us going for the uh, plus badge and more importantly we did some calculations here uh, does this rating count as like an average so like for example uh, what, are, what are the measures to count the overall rating is it just uh, taking the uh, ratings and then like dividing by the number of ratings or reviews or is there any other uh, factor that influence basically uh, this process of getting the ratings well, that's definitely a good question. I'm actually looking at the email that was sent to you um, just to see what was said because uh, I haven't I haven't heard of notif- you know you you being notified that uh, you're in the lowest ratings before. I haven't heard of that occurring. But uh, for sure, for sure, I can even actually open the email now and I can read it for you actually. Yeah. And for sure, I was able to find it. I just got on my end here. Okay, I see. So basically, yes, it was just giving you a notification that your listing is a little bit low and exactly and, uh, letting you know that's in it. Yeah, I, I see that. Okay. Um, so when it comes to reviews like this, um, and every every review does count. Um, it's just with uh, some reviews, um, for example, any, any sort of review that would violate our content policy, um, we could definitely look at possible removal as an example. But if it doesn't violate our content policies, then we would be unable to remove that I review. Understand. Um, I can take a look into this one for you. Um, having that 4.8 or higher review rating is going to be a requirement uh, mm-hmm. for becoming plus. That's but right. From the looks of it here, um, let me take a look. It looks like the listing here is pretty 
pretty new. It doesn't have too too many reviews. Of course, of course, we just got started recently. Have some upcoming. That's right, exactly. Yeah, and so we want to actually plan for it. So we are planning for going uh, basically uh, plus here. But we want to know what's the pathway here, and whether or not it is just about the reviews, or are there any other, for example, requirements? And more importantly, is this a, a free basically badge, or it's a paid badge? So is there any payment? If so, how much is the additional charges? So we want to actually figure out uh, what's basically the ba- you know the best way to go for uh, basically a plus badge. Uh, is that also part of the process that we have to have somebody there to check the place and? And uh, any other procedures involved to get that, basically? Absolutely. And I'm taking a look into the costs while we have you on the hold here as well, because um, I, I'm going to review this and see if there are any charges that you should be aware of. Um, it is a requirement to have someone inspect the home because that's kind of the, you know, the um, appeals for pluses. Those are listings that we have confirmed for comfort, quality, um, all sorts of things. They, I do want you to know as well, like, they do have very, very strict uh, requirements when you're actually going through the plus uh, process mm-hmm. of, of becoming a plus host. So um, they'll have really, really strict requirements for what they need inside of your listings as well. Uh, so I'm going to look through this, see if there's any cost, uh, what are the requirements there are to, uh, you know, apply or be invited to that. And then um, I will let you know. It's just I need a moment to review our, our information on it. For sure. Okay? Definitely. Definitely. That's right. We're here. Wonderful. Then I'll be right back, Daniel. For Thank sure. You. Definitely. That's right. Um, After uh, reviewing this here, uh, it does look like there is a one-time non-refundable program fee. Um, That's you know that's basically to cover the cost of the home visit and uh, personalized uh, home reports. That's right. Appears to be one hundred and forty-nine dollars per listing. So Um, it's it's a one-time fee, right? It's it's not like a recurring or a subscription model. It's like a one-time fee. Yeah, it's a one-time fee per listing. So if you had multiple listings, you might be charged that again if you were trying to apply for that. Um, And then I looked at a few more of the requirements here so I can give you a good idea. Um, There are quite a few to go over. So I also wanted to send you our Airbnb uh, plus home checklist. Um, I can do that by uh, message on Airbnb or email. Um, I feel that would be, uh, you know, a really good thing to keep in mind. Fantastic. Uh, But one thing to also keep in mind is that the listing needs to be a private, you know, it needs to be an entire home, private room uh, with a private bath. Uh, So basically, if it's not entire home, it has to have a private bath and a private room. Our our property Um, is uh, for the entire flat. Perfect. That's, that's right. That's great. And then uh, it has to have an easy 24-hour check-in, so that's an important one to note as well um, because the that's guests right. need to be able to access Yes, of course. We actually time. obtained the um, lock. The, uh, we yeah. obtained the lock with that one-time password thing, so basically now it's a 24-7 uh, check-in for any of our guests. That's great to hear. Um, so it sounds like uh, you're doing pretty good there uh, so far. Um, there are uh, quite a few amenities that um, you know a regular listing wouldn't be required to have. Uh, but a plus listing is required. Um, you have to have some sort of media entertainment like Roku, Netflix, you know, cable, something just there. That's right. Um, you know, you have to have Wi-Fi. Uh, and it of should course. be at least five megabits per minute. For sure. Um, so that, and, and a coffee maker. So there's like quite a few here. Um, if I may, I would like to send those to you, though. I just feel it might be easier than listing them all off to you and, you know, having you possibly forget. Um, 
That's for, great. Uh, having a chance to actually. I think there's no problem with any of those things you mentioned because uh, it's a luxury place and we have all of those taken care of. Uh, so, for, so far, the checklist is uh, actually pretty good and uh, we would uh, love to have this. But uh, does that mean that we have to actually wait for the re- uh, reviews to go up? Or we, can we, like, uh, I don't know, perhaps take a preemptive approach here? Or we have to wait until the rating uh, goes up to 4.8 or it's impossible? You know, as long as the rating goes up, then you should be eligible. Like right, right now, I'm going to review that particular review for you. Um, I'll see if it is something that is, you know violates our contract policy in any way, shape, or form. Um, if it does, I'd be happy to remove it. But if it doesn't, I would need to leave it as is. Um, you know, we we want to be transparent with all That's of our right. guests, of course. Very good. Um, and host. Just one final question about the overall rating. So that's just a mathematical average here, or are there are other factors that, in, uh, for example, I don't know, let's say we get a two-star review from somebody who stayed for like one day and a five-star from somebody who stayed for two for two weeks. Do both count as just one number and then to just count it like, and, uh, you know, get an average or uh, they are counted differently? Okay, so from looking at it here, it does look like like it goes off of an average mm-hmm. um, but it, it keeps it, it takes into consideration the um, you know the different areas uh, that you need to meet so for example um, accuracy communication cleanliness uh, check in mm-hmm. and all that and then it takes the average of all of those details that's uh, right how you get the star rating um, yeah and then it, your overall star rating would be an average of all of the ratings you've received so I understand um, so there's no link between how long a guest stays uh, and what the ranking. So if somebody stays for like two days and let's say it leaves a bad review versus somebody who stays for, uh, I don't know, three weeks and gets good treatment. Uh, so their reviews both count the same when it comes to like getting the average and having the overall rating, right? Yeah, exactly. We don't, uh, you know, we don't deem uh, a longer stay to be, you know, their, their opinion of the place to be more important than someone who stayed for two days. Because, for example, someone could have a really, really great experience during those two days, or they could have a really great experience for two weeks, and then on the last day something could happen, they could be unhappy and then leave a bad review. And then, uh, for example, if they were to have more stays, then it could affect you even more negatively. So we, we try and keep everything as fair as possible. Fantastic. Very well. And, of course, the final question I would like to ask you is generally some tips to make sure we go up the ranks in Airbnb. So if you yourself, imagine like you just want to give us a friendly advice on how to boost our ranking in general, obviously, because we would like to basically have the place uh, basically filled with different uh, uh, guests. So uh, what are some general tips you can offer us in order to make sure that our property in general goes up and just some of the winning tips on Airbnb, if you will? Yeah, so looking at this here, um, most of the most of the things that, that are going to like in, increase uh, guests to stay with you are going to be things like having your um, your instant book settings on, which it looks like that's enabled here. So that's a good first step, and then um, setting competitive pricing. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, prefer not to, but okay. uh, it will adjust your pricing to kind of match those around you. So if someone's looking, you know, at listings and yours is more expensive, they might be more inclined to book one that's cheaper. So that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, keep in mind um and then also uh you know um make there let me just a second here uh uploading high quality photos that was the other thing i wanted to um you know advise uh look at your listing here it looks like you have some really great photos exactly we tried our best much of a concern that's right yeah 
it was pretty good there. So those are a few of the things that are recommended. Um, For sure. Setting expectations as well, just making sure that you're being as honest as possible and, you know, setting the right expectations for upcoming guests. That, that, and then just describing your space really, really detailed and well. That's uh, another really good thing because, um, you know, having a very descriptive listing, people are going to feel, uh, you know, they're going to feel like you put a lot of effort into it and they're mm-hmm. going to feel like they know what they're getting. So um, just long, long descriptions. And of course, of course. And we got it. That's right. Way, but, uh, That's right. Great. Yeah. And we were our best, hopefully. And uh, our goal is to uh, hopefully uh, not only uh, get better with this property because we plan on adding uh, some new properties on Airbnb uh, from of course uh, also throughout Europe uh, we just uh, hopefully uh, a new listing for Lisbon Portugal so we are trying to actually go uh, global here and uh, hopefully thanks to your advice so we will try our very best and uh, we'll hopefully uh, go for uh, going up the ranks and thank you very much for your time I truly appreciate it and uh, hopefully we're going to try to use your advice and uh, go up the rank uh, and uh, once again we appreciate uh, your time and Effort. For sure. If there's any other articles I see, I'll be sure to pass them along to you as well. Um, but I really appreciate your time, Daniel. And if there's anything else, just let us know. For sure. Thank you very much. That was it. I truly appreciate it. And uh, for now, I'm going to wish you the very best. You've been very helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Definitely. Have a nice day. Bye for now. Well, that was very interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. So any final thoughts on it? So let, let, let me let me come back, come back and uh, actually gather everything together. This was one of the episodes that we really went to uh, went really deep into details uh, of a, a single method of how you can actually invest, and I think uh, it, it gives it gives our audience a good perspective into the whole the whole system and the whole world of investing in real estate and generating income through it. Um, but bringing everything together, do you have any final thoughts? Anything we didn't talk about, or you want to review? Of course, of course. So very quickly, you can never become wealthy through income alone. No matter how high your income is, if you want to become wealthy, you need to play by the rule of wealth. And the rule of wealth, as we mentioned earlier, was spend less than you earn, save and or invest that money, don't touch it, reinvest it, and multiply your investments and savings. This is the formula for wealth building. And uh, we talked about why personally I'm a huge fan of real estate investments and not stocks, because I mentioned earlier, uh, the reason is that with real estate, you can actually be sure that in the long term, you will always go up. So no matter how bad the conditions are today, 5, 10, 25 years down the line, you'll be sure that this property will be worth more. And the other point is about mortgages and that you can tap into the power of mortgages by buying properties that you cannot afford with the help of mortgage and then letting other people pay that mortgage for you using rent and ideally using services like Airbnb that will allow you to actually make the most of your investment. So ultimately, it was all about understanding how you can take control of your financial future because those who do not have basically a plan for a good future cannot have one. And because of this, if you want to be able to take care of this aspect of your life, uh, which is your finances, then you better have some plans and you better get started. And as uh, I, we discussed uh, here with Pujix, uh, ultimately, you want to know that the best time was yesterday and today is not too late, but let's get started. Excellent. And it is, as always, a massive pleasure talking with you, Dan, learning lots and lots of stuff, every single conversation we have. Thank you for joining us The pleasure us is absolutely mine, Pujix. I really appreciate uh, arranging this show, basically, and uh, we'll definitely, hopefully, help our uh, listeners to learn about different subjects in the future.
Hopefully. And thank you guys for joining us again. As always, we love you hearing our stuff. I cannot emphasize this enough. Without your existence, we are just talking to empty space, which is fine. We'll do it. But it's a lot more fun that we have you guys as listeners. You're awesome. Uh, put your comments, questions, anything you have on this episode or any other episode or send us directly. You can DM me, Dan, on Instagram, Twitter, whenever you get a hold of us. Um, and, and thank you. Hope to see you very soon.